0: Good morning, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 13 as we continue on in our series of character study of the life of Paul. Uh, Paul is a fascinating individual, an individual that was so sold out to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that uh, he would write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to imitate me as I imitate Christ, that he walked so closely with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ That he could say uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that if you are following after me, it is if you are following after Jesus. That's an amazing statement to be able to be said. I pray that for each and every one of us, we could articulate that in some way and manner that we live our life, that individuals would be able to follow after Christ by looking at our example. And so we are looking at. The Apostle Paul and what we can glean from his life as a follower of Jesus Christ, really in a society and in a structure that's not all that different uh, from ours, the things that the church was facing, the things that Christians were facing in that day and age are things that we are facing in this day and age as well. So there's a lot of truth and universal truth that can be applied to our lives to help us as we live out our lives in this fallen and this broken world. I've entitled today's message, Paul's Calling. We looked at uh, last week, we looked at Paul's conversion. Uh, today, we're going to look at Paul's calling saved out of, sent into. That's the story of every follower of Jesus Christ. That's the story of everybody that's been born again. We have been saved out of the world. We've been regenerated. We've been renewed. We've been born again. We've become a new creation in Christ Jesus, and we've been sent back into the world. So saved out of and sent back into. That's the story of each and every follower of Jesus Christ. We'll see as Paul lives that out what we can apply and what the implications are for our lives as followers of Jesus as well. But before we get into our text, I kind of want to set the table a little bit of what really Paul was was facing in a manner that I think we are facing as well, that really all people face in all times of history. Back in Numbers chapter 13, we read of Moses and uh, the people of God, they have been freed uh, from physical bondage in Egypt. And they are coming into the promised land. They get to the edge of the promised land. And Moses d- picks 12 individuals to be spies to go and spy out the land. They go into the land for 40 days. We read in Numbers thirteen twenty-three that the spies came to the valley of Eshkel, In Hebrew, Eshkel means cluster. And cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them, and they also brought uh, some pomegranates and grapes, uh, should say figs, pomegranates and figs. Now, we see that in this valley of, of Eskel, they, they come, and these 12 spies, they come to a cluster of, of grapes, and they cut it down. Now, this cluster of grapes is so big that it takes two individuals to carry those clusters of grapes on a pole. Sprouts has nothing on the valley of Eskel, Okay. This cluster of grapes is so big, it literally takes two grown men to carry them on a pole. Now, after 40 days, they bring that back along with pomegranates and figs. And they encounter the people of God. They encounter Moses. And 10 of the spies start to cause a little bit of some concern because they said what they saw in the land was causing them all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of fear. Caleb, one of the 12 spies, is recorded as saying in Numbers 13.30 that Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. He says, don't worry about what it is that is in the land. It's true what has been reported, but God is on our side. Don't worry about them. We've been called to go into the land. We're going to go into the land. But verse 31 goes on to say, Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Verse 33 says, And they... And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So you've got 10 individuals that have spent 40 days in the land, and they come back and they tell the people of God, we can't go in there. The situation is too big for us. The situation is not going to be able uh, to allow us to overcome it, so we just need to turn around. We need to go back. We can't go any further. Now, why is that? Well, there are giants in the land. Now, remember, they just carried into the camp a cluster of grapes so big it took two grown men on a pole to carry them in. I believe we find ourselves in a Joshua and a Caleb moment as a church and as a nation. Two reports have been given. You've got a report that says it's hopeless, it's all lost, everything is upside down, the, 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 the situation we're in is way too big for us, there are giants in the land, and if you go into that land, you'll be devoured. Then you've got a report that says it doesn't matter how big the giants are, I've got a God that's twice the size. I've got a God who's bigger than anything this world can throw at us. There are two reports that you can choose to follow. Which report you follow will determine the peace, the joy, and what the coming days of your life are going to look like. You see, this report that says in our own time, all is lost, all is hopeless, we're all doomed, is a bad report about a good God. But I choose to believe the other report. I choose to believe the other report that in spite of all of those things, God is still building his church and the gates of hell will never overcome it. I, I choose to listen to the report that says this Wednesday night, we've got five new followers of Jesus Christ. We've got five people that are falling through in baptism. I, 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 I choose to listen to the report that says in the middle of a pandemic that this church went through a transition And grew almost twofold. I choose to listen to the report that our God is so good that in the middle of a pandemic, we were able to be $350,000 over budget. I choose to listen to the report that says God is bigger than the Giants. Now, here's the thing. Are you going to focus in on the grapes or are you going to focus in on the Giants? God said it's a good land and when you go in there it's a land overflowing with milk and honey that they would find what it is exactly they found and they came back with proof that God does not lie but they took their eyes off of the grapes they took their eyes off of the fruit that God said they would bear and they put it on the giants we have two reports we can listen to I choose to focus on the grapes knowing and trusting God will take care of the giants now Paul finds himself in a very similar situation. The last time we left Paul, he was in Jerusalem. He had been on the road to Damascus. He was radically saved and transformed into a new creation, and he starts to minister in Damascus. He flees from Damascus. He goes into Jerusalem. The church is a little weary of him at first, but they're starting to bring him in. He's starting to preach. And then we start to see that as a result of the persecution of Stephen, that the the gospel is starting to spread. It gets as far up as Antioch and the gospel is starting to spread. And... The Holy Spirit falls on Gentiles and Gentiles start to place their faith in Jesus Christ and they're coming to know Jesus Christ. And so first the Holy Spirit comes to the Jews, then to the Samaritans, which were half Jewish, half Gentiles. And then we see the completion of that as it comes to the Gentiles. So God's word is spreading out through all the world now. We start to see the advancement of the gospel, so much so in Acts 11.25 in Antioch. We see that the followers of Jesus Christ for the very first time are called Christians. Well, all of these things are going on, we also see that the persecution is starting to rev up to the point that, that James, the, the brother of John, part of the inner circle of Jesus Christ, has been killed. He's been martyred. We see that, that Herod has died, and now there's a power vacuum that has been left in the wake of the transition of power of who is going to take over for Herod. Does this sound familiar to maybe some of the situation that we find ourselves in right now? persecution is revving up, there's a power vacuum that has been created. There's worry, there's frustration. What is all this going to look like? How's all this going to play out? What are my kids' life going to be like? What is this world that they're going to inherit? And in the midst of that, we're going to see Paul respond in a way that I pray each and every one of us can glean universal truths out of and apply to our lives as well. And so look with me in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. God's word says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. A couple things that I want to just give commentary on, and then we are going to look at um, four points that I I believe that we can apply to our lives as well that have uh, huge implications for us as individuals and for us as a church body of believers. First, notice that in the midst of all of this upheaval, in the midst of all of this persecution, in the midst of all of these trials and these tribulations, where do we find Saul? He's in church. Now, I think there is an understanding of teaching today, and it's somewhat true, that says we're the church. The building is not a church. A- absolutely. Amen. 100% correct. That's, that's absolutely biblical. But I think sometimes what we do is we say, ah, if I'm out on the golf course or if I'm out taking a hike or if, if, if I'm out doing this or I'm doing that, uh, I, I can still have church. With the Lord. Yes, amen. You are the church, and everywhere your feet may tread, you you are the church in action. But I want you to understand that there is an illustration that we can glean and a truth that we can take from Paul's life that when the going got a little bit crazy and things were starting to get flipped upside down, or whether things were going really good, you would find Paul in the church. Don't neglect the gathering together of the church body. But listen, they didn't just come to church to come to church. Look at what they were doing in the church. They were actively seeking after God in full expectation that he was going to speak to them. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So they came in and they're fasting, they're seeking, they're actively seeking after God to speak into their life. They're worshiping and they're fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, look, the early church knew that they needed direction from God before they moved. So even when they came in to worship, they came in with an expectation, I'm going to hear from God. I pray we come in with that same expectation. I pray we lean in. I pray that we've been so actively seeking after the Lord that there may come times in our lives where we say, you know what? I'm I'm not going to eat lunch today. Instead, I'm going to spend my lunch break on my face crying out to God. I'm going to spend my lunch break studying God's word. I, I don't got time to eat. I want to feast on the bread of life actively seeking god you speak to me speak into my life and then when you get a word how do we execute it we see in verse three that after they were fast after they had fasted and prayed they they laid hands on them and sent them off but we also see that there's a calling verse two it says the holy spirit said set apart for me barnabas and Saul for the work to which i have called them Now, I think there's a universal calling for each and every follower of Jesus Christ. There's a universal calling. I think it's the great commandment and the great commission. I think each and every one of us have been called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think each and every follower of Jesus Christ have been called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I I don't think anybody could say I'm not called to that. I think if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches very clearly that you've been called to those two things. You can sum that up with the understanding of I've been called to love God, and I've been called to love my neighbor, and the greatest way that I can love God is to be obedient to him, and the greatest way I can love my neighbor is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. We've all been called to that, but I do think there are specific callings that God places on each individual. I think that God has a unique and a special calling for each and every person in here. Now, you may say, I don't know what that unique and that special calling is, and I would say either one of two things. You haven't been looking for it, or you don't want to look for it. You haven't been seeking God's face to know what that special calling is because you didn't really know. I didn't know God had a special calling on my life. And so you haven't been spending time seeking diligently what it is that God would have you specifically do for his kingdom and his glory. Others know that God probably has a unique, specific call for your life, but you don't want to know what it is because then you would have to be obedient to it. And you really don't want to lay that yes down on the table because he may call you to all kinds of numbers of things. And I would say the greatest thing you can do with your life is to diligently seek out what God's specific, unique calling is that he has on your life. And then you commit your whole heart to doing that. So we see that he is called, along with Barnabas, to go do the work which they have been called to do. So they pray and they fast and they they allow God to lay that out for them. And then they set off on what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. Paul will take three missionary journeys as recorded in the book of Acts. We're going to look today into the first missionary journey and what it is that we can glean and apply to our lives as followers of Christ. The first thing that we see is that we are called, just as Paul was called, we are called by God to complete surrender. God calls us to complete surrender. We talked a lot about that last week. We've got a yes of our time, our talents, and our treasures, and we are to lay down that yes at the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and allow him to direct us from that point forward. He calls us to complete surrender. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to sell the Aesia, and from there they sailed the Cyprus. So they were sent out, and, and guess what? They did something very radical. They, they responded in obedience and actually went. They didn't. Say, well, I know you want me to go, and when I get around to it, I'll I'll go. Or if it works out and it's convenient for me, then I'll go. Or, well, really, you know, I'm just not a good season of life, not a good time of life right now. God said go, and they went. Complete surrender. God, I don't really know what this is going to look like. I don't know how all this is going to play out, but you called me to go, so I'm going to go. Complete surrender. God calls us to that as well. How many times has God called us to something and we've tried to bargain with him. We've tried to barter with him. We've tried to put terms and conditions upon what it is that he's calling us to. And I'm so guilty. But what we need to, as followers of Jesus Christ, get to a point that complete surrender. God said, do it. You've confirmed that. Now, notice, they weren't just kind of they actively seeking God's faith. It was confirmed in their heart and in their life, and they responded to it in faith. Complete surrender. Abraham Kupier, I, I, he's a great... Theologian and great writer that has since gone on to be in glory. Abraham Cupier says this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. This idea that we can compartmentalize our faith and God, I give you these areas and I give you these areas. But this area over here is, is really something that I kind of want to keep to ourselves is completely foreign to scripture. Because God is sovereign over all creation, it's his creation, therefore creation belongs to him. Therefore, your money belongs to God. Therefore, your time belongs to God. Therefore, your work belongs to God. Therefore, your children belong to God. Your marriage belongs to God. you, as an image bearer of his, belong to him, but you will never experience that reconciliation and you will never experience that restoration without faith in Christ Jesus. Everything belongs to God, so therefore we ought to give him everything. But we're not only just called to complete surrender. Look, look what happens. And in verse 6, they, they are sent out, and they, they go, and they come into a synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And then verse 6 says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they come, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. Now in Hebrew that means he's the son of Jesus. This isn't Jesus' son <laughs> by, by any stretch of the imagination. This is a fake Jesus. We encounter bar Jesuses all the time in our lives and in this world. We encounter fake Jesuses. These are individuals that are functional saviors or things that are functional saviors that promise they will do for you what only Jesus can do. And we are deceived into worshiping at their altars instead of at the feet of Jesus. Whether that's a person, whether that's a substance, whether that's a political ideology or party, the world will offer to us these functional saviors that says, This is your Jesus. Now bow down and worship this Jesus, and you will have peace. You will have joy, you will have purpose, you will have meaning. The problem is they're fake Jesus. They don't have any power to do any of that. Jesus and Jesus alone can bring you peace and joy and new life and transform your heart and your soul. Let me just say this: our country is not going to be won or changed by revolution. Our country is going to be one and changed by regeneration. Meaning, it's going to change by each individual who has a heart of stone coming to faith in Christ Jesus and having that heart of stone removed from them and receiving a heart of flesh. It's individuals laying their life down at the feet of Jesus, their yes down at the feet of Jesus and saying, Now I am following you in complete surrender. We need to be focused in on that. By not neglecting the things that are going on around us, All right? I think there's this idea within the church that it's an either or. Either you just forget totally about what is going on in the world, and you just kind of bury your, 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 your head into the Christian sands of life, or you forget everything that is going on that God is doing, and you focus only on the things that are going on in the, the world presents to us this idea that it's got to be an either-or, but I would propose to you that the Bible teaches it's a both-and. You're to be focused in on both of those realities and both of those truths. Look at this. In verse 7, it says, He was with the proconsul, meaning this fake Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence. Now, I don't think the Bible alerts us to the idea that this is a man of intelligence because it wants to show us this is a really smart guy and, hey, I just want to tell you about this guy. No, what is about to happen is the foolishness of the cross is about to be encountered by a man who was wise according to the world's standards. You see, God always the, uh, confounds the wise with the things that they seem so foolish. That Some Jewish peasant was actually God? And he died on a cross. It's the foolishness of the cross. Absolute foolishness. And here's this man of intelligence, but guess what? The power of the gospel is about to transform his life. But it says that this man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul had sought to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear the word of God. But, verse 8, Elemis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. There are all kinds of individuals that are trying to uh, oppose and trying to turn those individuals that, that are following Christ or us that want to present Christ to them, trying to turn them away from the faith. Now, what has God called us to do in light of the fake Jesuses of the world? What has he called us to do? Well, he's called us to confront sin seems to be something that the church no longer tends to, to do in a way that the Bible calls us to do. He calls us to confront sin, sin in other people's lives and sin in our own life. Now, look at this. Now, I'm, a, I'm getting ready to probably clear up some parking problems. Sometimes I preach a little intense. I get a little excited about God. Say, I preach a little too long. Sometimes I get a little too agitated and a little too excited. Verse 9, this is how Paul responds. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You know, you seem like a pretty nice guy. And I know you're trying to prevent individuals from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You're trying to keep people within the grips of Satan himself so that they would be separated from God from all of eternity in a very real place called hell. But you know what? I think if I just hang out with you long enough and I have you over to my house for enough barbecues, I'll just kind of, I'll just relationally love you in, into, into heaven. Is that what he said? You son of the devil! Dang! You son of the devil! He looked intently at him. We don't look intently at our sin or at the sin of the world anymore. We want to turn our blind—we want to turn a blind eye to it. Now hold on, because I'm fixing to preach. You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Paul said that. Is this the Old Testament? This is the Book of Acts. This is the New Testament. I thought—I thought Christians were supposed to just throw rainbow powder on everybody. I I thought we were supposed to just walk around with unicorns and bright fairy dust and just sprinkle everything around. It's okay. You just do you. YOLO. (laughs) Just do you. You son of the devil. You trying to prevent individuals from coming to knowledge and faith in Christ Jesus. You're working for Satan himself and I'm not going to just brush it over. I'm not going to just gloss it over. I'm going to confront the sin that is in my face right now and I'm going to do it for the glory of God. You say, "Well, man, Paul slipped into the flesh, filled with the Holy Spirit." Now, either the Bible's a lie Somewhere along the, 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 the way, we've lost this spirit within the heart and the mind of the believers to say, I'm not going to allow sin to be present in my life, and I'm not going to be uh, allowing sin to be present in your life. Sometimes individuals look at the Old Testament and say, I can't reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament, because the God in the Old Testament said, when you go into the promised land, you kill everybody. That don't seem like a very loving God. He's just, you see, he's a loving God because he's a just God. He's a just God because he's a loving God. And he said, I know that if you allow those little pockets of fake Jesus's to remain amongst you, ultimately your heart will start to be led astray. So you better get rid of it all. We want to hold on to little pockets of sin in our life thinking if I just, if I just hold on to this and I just keep it kind of held together, then I'll be able to manage it. You will not be able to manage your sin. Your sin will manage you. You better deal with it all. Confront it in complete surrender. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, The world will tell us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to move. And unfortunately, as followers of Jesus Christ, oftentimes we've complied. Christian, get out of the public schools. Oh, you don't, I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to stand here. Oh, okay. You want me to come over here? Christian, you can't share you can't share the gospel in your workplace. Oh, that's not allow in the school and now the oh, over here. Is, is, is this is this okay for you? Is this, this all right? Close up that book. Don't you speak truth out of that book? If it doesn't confirm what it is that we want to progressively get our world to embrace and become, then then you don't say. Oh, I can't. Don't they're there e- either? Can I keep my microphone on? No, can't, can't do that. You want me to come in and play this reality that an individual that genetically is a man says, No, I'm a woman. And now I'm supposed to come in, and it's bigoted tree of me to say, No, I'm not going to play along with you in that. My heart breaks for you because you're deceived in that. And I'm going to speak truth into your life. And I'm going to walk with you through this very difficult time in your life because what you're going through is pain. Now, now think about that. If, if, if that same individual came to you and said, I'm Michael Jordan, brother, you 5'3 you and white. <laughs> brother, you... You might dribble your milk, but you ain't dribbling a <laughs> dunk a donut. But that's about, if somebody came up to you, seriously, I'm Michael Jordan. you going to, uh, okay, Mike, well, tell me about, tell me about game five in, in the 94 finals, you know? Like, tell me about the flu game. Mike, no, you're going to say some's off. Some, something's wrong with this individual. And I need to come alongside that person. I need to love on them. And I, I need to walk with them through that. But you know what the world says when that same individual doesn't say they're Michael Jordan but says, I'm, I'm a woman? How brave. We champion you. Put you on the face of magazines and covers of magazines. And we put you, we put you out there. You son of the devil. People don't want that message anymore. People don't want, want to hear that sermon. You say, but pastor, we've, we've been told that we're to expect opposition. We're, we're told to expect tribulations. Absolutely. And I would say this. Opposition, trials, and persecution are to be expected. They're not to be Accepted. For far too long, we, we've said, "Oh, oh, we're not supposed. I'm not supposed to stand here. You, you, want, you, you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile." It, it's never. Just get out of the schools. We'll leave you alone. Just get out of the schools. Oh, oh, you want a school? Just get out of the workplace. Just get out of the school. It's like the jerk. Anybody remember the jerk? Was all I need is I need this giraffe, and I need, and all I need is this land. And all. If, if just the schools, just the workplaces, just. Just my home, just my church house, just my social media, just my this, just my that, just, oh, I, what, what? Give them an inch, they'll take a mile. We got to confront sin. It's always to be expected, but we are never called to accept it. Now, I think the Bible also teaches us, and we'll see in the life of Paul, that not only are we called to confront sin, but we're called to cast seed the seed of the gospel message. We're supposed to throw it as far as wide and as broad as we possibly can. In Nehemiah, there's an interesting verse in the book of Nehemiah that talks about when they were building the wall and they had individuals that were trying to uh, prevent them from building that wall and attack them that what what they ended up doing, uh, Nehemiah says, is that the individuals that were working on the wall did so with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. They built and they battled. They built and they battled. We're called to do the same. Now, I think oftentimes what happens within the life of Christianity is we uh, 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 forego one for the other. So people are just so busy battling, telling everybody what we're, what we're against, that we never tell anybody what we're for. We're just always fighting. We're just, we're just those individuals that are always fighting everybody. We're battling. And we're never working on actually building the kingdom up. Or... We get so neglectful of the battling against the strongholds of the enemy in our lives and the lives of others that all we do is we just we just work on the kingdom and we just build and and we allow strongholds to be developed all around us. But what God has called us to do is to build and to battle. He's called us to do both. We're to build and we're to battle. We're to confront sin, but we're to cast seed. We see that in the life of Paul. So Paul ventures on after this, uh, where he's presenting the gospel to the pro-council. And we see in chapter 13, verse 15, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, they go to Antioch of Poseidon, they go into the synagogue. The rulers of the synagogue send a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, I love this. I I probably should have spent the whole message on this because I just find it amazing. I find it pretty humorous as well. So Paul and Barnabas are Jews, so they go to the synagogue in this town. Now, the Jews, look at them. They they say that they're they're Jews. They they come in, and it's kind of like old-school church. If you're a visitor with us, would you please stand so the church can meet you? Anybody ever been in one of those churches? You remember them? Maybe back in the day, if you were a visitor, you you had to fill out maybe something on the pew and pass it down, and then there came a point in time where everybody stood up, and the guests were like, Oh, dear Lord, that's why I don't come to church, because I really don't want to stand up in front of everybody. You remember that? Paul and Barnabas come in to the synagogue, and they say, we got some guests here. Why don't we hand them the microphone and hear what they have to say? Oh, Lord. You just gave Paul the floor. He says, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Church, do you have any word of encouragement for the people that are dealing with all kinds of pain and suffering and anxiety and fear outside of these four walls today? You know anybody that needs encouragement of the gospel? Say it. Say it. They are dying to hear you say it. Say the gospel. Preach the gospel. It's the only thing that will change their life. Preach the gospel. You've got that word of encouragement, then say it. So he preaches the gospel. And he goes on to the next town. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. The only thing that would save them and cause them to be individuals that could believe and be be, uh, brought into the faith is the gospel. So they spoke the gospel and they believed. Verse 6 says they found out that they were going to be mistreated and stoned by individuals that didn't like the gospel. Verse 6 says they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, uh, Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. They kept preaching. They kept throwing the seed out. They kept throwing the seed out. You're not responsible for the soils of the heart that the seed hits, but you are responsible for how much seed you throw out. Throw the seed out. Cast the seed. Now, here, me say this. There's going to be individuals that are always going to pose opposition against you. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They pelted him with enough stones that they thought they killed him. They dragged him out of the city and left him there thinking he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now, notice this. They come around him. He pops back up. And guess where he goes? Right back into the city that they just stoned him in and drug him out of, thinking he was dead. Man, I wish I I had the faith and the courage of Paul. And then he goes on to another town, and guess what it says in verse 21? When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. So they, they reversed their, their steps. But everywhere they went, they were preaching the gospel. We need to be faithful to preach the gospel. We need to confront sin. We need to cast seed, and we also need to continuously strengthen each other. Look at verse 22. Strengthen the souls of the disciples. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. That's, when they came back, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. Not just surface level. This goes far beyond how hot the coffee is or how sweet the donuts are, goes far beyond the surface level, how you doing out in the church hallways. It goes far beyond the I'll pray for you, but I never actually pray for you, but I just said that so you could go on your way because I really don't want to get involved in the messiness of your life, and so I just kind of tell you that just to kind of get you to move along down the road. No, no, no. They strengthen the very souls of each other. May that be said about this church. When I walked in there, my soul was strengthened. I walked in, and I tell you, it took everything I had to get here. Me and my wife were fighting with the kids on the way when we were pulling into the parking lot. Maybe me and my wife were fighting. But there was something about those people, and there was something about that place. When I walked out of here, my soul was strengthened. How do we do that? Well, he tells us, encouraging them to continue in the faith, encouraging one another. And we got to have to encourage one another. Run that race. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Keep running. Keep going. Encourage one another. Not just encouraging, but persevering. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There are going to be trials. There are going to be tribulations. But keep on. Keep pressing on. Persevere. Persevere. Uh, As we go through trials and we show those around us how we rely upon the Lord in those, those trials, that we persevere. Strengthen each other by encouraging each other and persevering so that individuals can see that. As you go through that pain and suffering of this broken and fallen world, that God is there to comfort you. Just as 2 Corinthians 1 star in verse 3 talks about, the comfort that we receive. We're to comfort other individuals. And lastly, appointing. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, they raised up leaders. How do we strengthen each other? How do we continuously strengthen the church? We raise up leaders. We pour into people in such a way that we train them to know how to disciple other individuals, that know how to disciple other individuals, that know how to disciple other individuals. Now, for me, what I see in, in Scripture is this. God never, never called the church to plant campuses. He called them to plant churches. Now, what happens when you start having one person be the pastor over a bunch of different churches is you stop the leadership-building process that says... Oh you're the one pastor over 10 churches well, why don't you disciple nine other individuals and release them to fulfill the God's calling on their life so that they can lead the church so that they can build up individuals and replicate that model because what happens is if I'm depending on you for 10 churches what happens to those 10 churches when you ain't around no more The problem is one it takes longer it's a lot messier And a lot of people don't really want to be trained. We can offer trainings and discipleship every night of the week, every hour of the day, but if you don't commit yourself to being discipled, if you don't commit yourself to being trained, what are we going to do? So I pray that you would resolve in your own heart, I'm going to lean in this year, I'm going to press in, and when they have evangelism training... I'm going to come and be trained. Because it's easy, right? It's easy for the pastor to say, you need to be sharing your faith. Okay, I I know I need to be sharing my faith, but teach me how. We want to teach you how. How do I read my Bible to where I know how to teach somebody else how to read their Bible and how they can teach somebody else to be a disciple? Well, when we have those trainings, come to those trainings. Be involved in those trainings. God has a unique and a special plan for each and every one of your lives. For those of you that walk in here today that think that there's no hope for you because of where you've been and what you've done, because that sin separates you and has created a hole in your heart that you've tried to fill with everything else, I want to tell you the encouraging word, the good news that I have for you is that if you will repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray today would be the very day that you do that. For those of you that have made that proclamation of faith, that I pray that you would lean into the Lord, completely surrendered, confronting sin, casting seed, and continuously strengthening those within the body of Christ.